Hi folks, a quick message before today's episode on Hostel. At one point, Eli Ross' homophobic dialogue is read out, so you will hear the F word, as in the queer slur. Obviously, if you have seen the film, you're aware of it, and while Trace and I don't condone this kind of language, we did feel that it was important to discuss it as part of the episode. We also, however, wanted to give people a heads up, as this could be triggering or upsetting to some. Alright, back to the episode. Loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Hello, and welcome to Horror Queers. Each week in Horror Queers, we tackle a horror film with LGBTQ plus themes, a high camp quotient, or both. For lifelong queer horror fans like us, there's as much value in serious discussions about representation as there is in reading a ridiculously silly or fun horror film with a yas queen mentality. Just know that at no point will Joe or I be getting Baba Shook. It's still so sad. What? <laughs> Just like what it is? <laughs> No, that lack of Baba Shook. Sometimes I think, you know what? Aren't we missing the Baba Shook in our life right now? Well, then in another one, you can be like, you know, maybe we do want to get Baba Shook. <laughs> we'll save it for Pride. Oh, God, I know, right? Wait, when is your Pride? Ours is like, oh, I think, I don't even know when Austin Pride. I've never gone to Austin Pride. Um, we have a Pride month. It's the entire month of June. Jesus Christ. You're, mm-hmm. you're in Toronto, Ontario? Yeah. Toronto, okay. Or to Americans, Toronto, America. No, Toronto, Canada. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, oh, there was you all don't know provinces. Well, isn't a province like a state? Yes, but Americans don't know them. Oh. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Canadian Geography, the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know a lot about Canada, to be honest. Um, and that Cole, I, I wish I would have responded to that damn Cole's note thing you said last last week because I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but I abused context clues. Um, yeah, I think our Austin Pride, it used to be in July, but it was too hot here. So now it happens in September. I think that's when it happens. Uh, that makes sense. So this week we're doing Hostel from Woo! 2005. It's so exciting how is, time changes things. Is it exciting? I was going <laughs> to ask. Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, well, we'll get into it. But yeah, so um, Hostel. Uh, oh, wait, do you want to do the facts since i did them last week or do you want me to do it? i don't i don't care to be honest i feel like you love the facts you I make the sheet the it's I so really pretty you get compliments on twitter it's... dude i know someone i think i want to monetize it someone asked for me to send it to them for money <laughs> um it's not the only thing trace gets asked for for money on the end not at all um but that's a conversation. That's an Instagram story. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so we watched Hostel this week, uh, directed by Eli Roth, released on January 6th, 2006, uh, with a budget of $4.8 million, released by Lionsgate and Screen Gems. Um, two very big genre, like, studios, um, in the, especially in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, with the backing of one Quentin Tarantino. Yes. And that's important. For some reason. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, opened in the number one spot uh, with $19.5 million. And for a January horror film, like the first like week of the new year in 2006, that's a pretty big deal, I feel like. But there was a lot of buzz the, about this movie going around because it premiered at TIFF in September of 05. And I think there were like 
two people that fainted during it or something like that. And, you know, that, you know, what happens with that? It's like all the buzz goes around. Oh, it's so intense, blah, blah, blah. And, Which I um, feel like at this point, people should just discount things that happen at TIFF because apparently we have people who faint or vomit or have to get taken away by ambulance all the time. Yeah. Something, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but that definitely happened in the last like, year or two at TIFF. Um, yeah, it happened with Raw in 2016. Raw, yes. Which, honestly, yeah, that set me up for disappointment with that movie. But we're not discussing Raw today. Maybe another time. When I saw Revenge at Fantastic Fest last year, uh, someone had a seizure. So that was fun. Uh, not yeah. for them, probably. No. Anyway, so yeah, $19.5 million opening weekend, and it went on to gross $47.3 million. Doesn't really sound like a lot. I mean, but for a, what was the first? No, it wasn't the first torture porn because Saw came out first. Um, actually, Saw 2 came out before Hostel did as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did Wolf Creek 2005. Oh, oh, and that was Christmas, though. So Wolf Creek was about th- three weeks before Hostel came out. Oh. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're all kind of in the same wheelhouse, but adjusted, it made $66 million. Again, doesn't sound like a lot of money, but with a four and a half million or $4.8 million budget, it's a pretty good number. Yeah. Um, good return on investment. Yeah. Uh, reviews, I was actually kind of shocked to find out were mostly kind to it. I mean, you know, it wasn't overwhelmingly positive, but you got a 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, average score of 5.8 out of 10 audience score though of a 53%. So, but that kind of makes sense. And then Metacritic mm-hmm. was 55 out of a hundred. Here's actually something that's kind of interesting though. So the Rotten Tomatoes audience score was 3.1 out of five, but the Metacritic user score was 3.2 out of 10. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I guess maybe there's more discerning, um, Metacritic users than there are Rotten Tomatoes u- 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 yeah, users. Uh, so that was just something that I thought was kind of funny. I think Metacritic is more of an aggregate and Rotten Tomatoes is a, well, maybe not quite as much anymore, but it was, uh, particularly when this would have been released, it was a very finely curated select group of individuals. But the number still seems high considering how much flack horror tends to get in reviews of non-genre outlets, so... That is a bit surprising. Right. And I know we're not talking about it, but Hostel 2 got worse reviews than Hostel 1. I think it was in like the high 40s um, in ter- on Rotten Tomatoes, at least. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I was genuinely surprised by that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, directed by Eli Roth, also written by Eli Roth. Uh, before this, his only film had been Cabin Fever. And then after this, he would do Hostel 2. And then what was that? Like, well, I know like Green Inferno and Knock Knock and Death Wish was the most recent, but was there something in between? I don't. Or I guess ha- House of the Clock in Its Walls, which I constantly want to call House of the Clock in Its Walls. It's really, really tempting. Um, that is the porn parody, right? I, uh, we've got Death. No. <laughs> I'm, well, actually, I'm, it probably is, but uh, we've also got Death Wish from 2018. Yeah, I thought I said that. Did I not say that? No, knock knock and house of <laughs> house. Now I'm gonna say it too. I know he's uh. got a bunch of executive producer stuff on television, and he did the Thanksgiving short for Death Proof, which and Grindhouse. I'm, I'm still waiting on the full length feature of. But yeah, I was really surprised at how few films he's done. Like I, I really, for some reason, had it in my head that he'd done more. Uh, no, there's a. There's a big jump between Hostel 2 and Green Inferno. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's like four or five years. So, yeah, he also wrote this um, starring no one particularly famous. Uh, Jay Hernandez is the biggest name. 
And I was shocked to find out that he is not Freddy Rodriguez, because apparently I get them confused a lot. Jay Hernandez is famous for Crazy Beautiful, the movie with Kirsten Dunst from the early 2000s, Friday Night Lights, and The Recent Suicide Squad, whereas Freddy Rodriguez is from Grindhouse and Six Feet Under and the Wolfgang Peterson Poseidon remake, or Poseidon Adventure remake that's called Poseidon. And then, yeah, Derek Richardson from Dumb and Dumber-er and the, yes. anger, and the yeah. anger Management TV show. Um, Those are not great credits. No. Um, he was also in Men in Trees, which was a, a TV show with Anne Heche that apparently was good. Um, I remember it getting good reviews, but I never watched it. Mm. I thought for some reason I heard Boys in Trees, which is an Australian coming-of-age queer film, which is great. And I got excited. And then nope. I, you said Anne Heche, and I was like, oh, yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, totally Anne Heche. Not what you're thinking of at all. Uh, and then, yeah, I think that's really, I mean, the only other kind of name in it who isn't even a name is, uh, Rick Hoffman, who's the guy that, um, that Jay Hernandez walks in torturing the, uh, Asian girl and he's the American client. Yes. The American client. And, um, he, uh, he's famous for suits. He's a, he's a main character on this TV show called suits for anyone who doesn't know what hostel is. It's basically these three douchebags are in Amsterdam. <laughs> looking for pussy because that is literally all they care about in this entire movie and they are told by this creepy guy with a really gross mole on his lip that there is this oh my great- god i could not stop looking at that mole i was like <laughs> is that meant to be a venereal disease i don't think so i mean maybe i mean well i feel really bad now because what if the guy actually it could has just that be thing on his yeah. face <laughs> but if so I think we're it- sorry but also kind of not sorry because yeah mole, I mean, mole, mole, mole. really gross and actually I, I do want to talk about that scene where he's like i really want the only scene he's in um because it was really weird but um yeah he tells them that there's great pussy all in slovakia at this one hostel because uh there's a war i guess I, I, forgive me i don't know my slovakian history and apparently that- eli roth picked slovakia because he didn't he knew that people in America would not know if it was a real country or not. Yes. And I also want to talk about that quote because I found that (laughs) quote too. (laughs) Uh, There are some choice gem quotes about this movie. Oh, right. Because you listen to the commentary, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, good. You have that. I'm excited. Yeah. Because that that other quote I found online somewhere. Um, But yeah, so they go to Slovakia and because they're promised of the most magical pussy in the world. And they get it, and then they're tricked and drugged and taken to a place where an elite group of hunters called Elite Hunting, uh, on the nose. So clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically tortured them for money. And Hostel 2 does expand on that in a really cool way. But mm-hmm. um, Hostel 1 keeps it pretty bare bones, which, watching it, I was shocked at kind of how much I how much of like, what happens in Hostel 2 informed my my memory of the first movie. And to me, the same, but also my enjoyment. Like, I found, to be honest, I kind of found it a little bit boring. Same. I mean, I, I do still like it, but I was actually, because I was looking at your letterbox score, and you had given the first one four stars, and you had given the second one three and a half. So, Downgraded to 3.5 after the most recent viewing. Yes. And I'm interested to see whenever we do get around to watching Hostel 2, um, if that moves up for you or if it stays the same or or goes down. Who knows? But yeah, so that's Hostel. Uh, Joe, what, well, before, before we get into what you thought of it now, what did you think of it when it came out? Did you see it when it came out? Okay. So I did see it when it came out, uh, by this point. So we're now talking 
uh, a decade after last week's movie. So yes. when Scream sort of reinvigorated the horror franchise, uh, we got all the copycats and then we moved into the 2000s and that's when horror kind of hit a slump again. The, the second cycle of slashers didn't last as long as the first one. And that's when we started to get into Saw territory, which Trace helped me out. Is that 2003 or four? 2004. Um, yeah, basically Saw 1 was October 2004. And then we got one of those a year, every year it, until and I may be wrong. I didn't Google this ahead of time, but I think there was a gap between six and seven. I think there was a one year gap. Yeah, there was never more than a couple, except for Jigsaw, which, wow, let's move on. Um, but essentially, by the time... So, I had been following uh, the development of Saw because I heard all these amazing things about it. My sister and I went to see it. We really liked it. We liked the twist. So, all of a sudden, then, this idea that there were more graphic kind of carnage candy horror films on the horizon started to pique my interest. I missed Wolf Creek, I think, because it was too small a release. But then Hostel was really high on my radar. Uh, at that time, I wasn't living in Toronto, so I didn't see it at TIFF, but I did catch it when it came out in theaters. And I remember really liking it and thinking that it was far more clever than I anticipated. Obviously, for the people who have watched the film, it's it's actually a it's a fairly smart script in terms of the way that the first act mirrors the third act. Uh, there's a lot of visuals that play off of things. If you've paid attention to the the Amsterdam stuff, they'll pay off when they get to Slovakia. Yeah, and at the I, time, I, I remember. That. At the time, I remember thinking that it was. Uh, that it was smart filmmaking. And I liked the idea that it was more of a complicated film than I had anticipated where you, you hate the guys, but then it's a question of, do they deserve the punishment that they get? And, you know, all the, the transactional stuff, like it, I really did want to learn more about how this all came about. And maybe I'll just leave it at that and ask you. So, well, no, I mean, I, I think you're totally right. I do think the script is smart. I, I was kind of bored watching it. And I don't want to say kind of bored. Like the the first 45 minutes is kind of a slog because these guys are miserable to be around. But before mm -hmm. we get into what I think about it now, um, yeah, I, it's interesting to me that – because Eli Roth, I do feel like it's a lot of flack, um, especially now. But I think he is a smart man and he, he does have a knack for writing scripts. I did see Death Wish, though. So, I mean, you know. Um, <laughs> You're not going to praise him too much. I'm not going to praise him too much. But, I mean, like, you know, I, I think Cabin Fever is really smart. and. I, I, I didn't see Cabin Fever in theaters, but I remember when um, Jordan Ladd's character, she's like the good girl in the movie, and she's the first one to get the virus and like fucking bite it. That, I mean, again, it's not new to the horror genre to kill off like, you know, the good girl, um, but it's still shocking, especially considering that her face basically just like melts off. And so going into Hostel, he kind of pulls the same thing. But anyway, so Hostel was 2006. I was a junior in high school when this came out. So I was, uh, I was about to be 17, so I was 16 when it came out. So for you, that means you were allowed to see it, or you had I, to go with an adult? I was allowed to see it. Shockingly, though, I'm thinking about it now, So, because I saw Saw in theaters. I saw the, I, I've seen every single Saw movie in theaters. I guess my mom started getting really lax. The first R-rated <laughs> horror movie I saw in theaters was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake. So I was 14 when that came out, So, but I begged her, like begged, literally on my knees. And I think after that, like... She kind of got a little bit lazier, not lazier, but like more lax just with her um, rules. So, yeah, I was allowed to see it in theaters. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> um, 
Clearly, your mom did not look at the poster or watch any of the trailers. Well, also, I'm going back to 2003 because I was not allowed to see Freddy vs. Jason in theaters, which came out in August of 03. But then she changed her mind when I begged October of 2003 to go see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) Wow. So, I mean, yeah. Um, Anyway, I did see it in theaters. I saw it with my dad. And... I, I liked, I remember really liking it. I mean, again, though, I, it, it might have played into my whole, like, oh, I'm a badass. Like, I'm, I'm 16. I'm getting to see this really, like, violent, boob-tacular movie. And, of course, at the time, I was already out. But, like, there was just something about seeing boobs like, in movies that I guess was, like, made me feel naughty. I don't know. Well, it's um, very adult, right? I mean, that's that's one of the reasons, like, okay, sorry, I'm, I'm cutting no, no, you no. off momentarily. That, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to banter. <laughs> that's, what you, so, that's what the listeners want. I feel like one of the things that we need to raise like right off the top is that this film is synonymous. This and Saw are synonymous with a new type of filmmaking called torture porn. Well, and, new, new for 2006. Yes, back at the time. Not so much anymore. Um, but it's it's reflective of the things that you're talking about that were attracting you, for lack of a better term. Essentially, like this is the combination of... like violent pornography and so for you to be like okay well you know i can go and see this adult movie with boobs and tons of gore it's kind of the the pinnacle of what horror for better and worse is often associated with but i just think it's interesting that you're able to identify that that was it was a selling feature and maybe in a different way than some other horror films were. Well, I mean, like, I, I didn't know there were going to be boobs all over the place when I went to go see it. Like, I wanted to go see it because I knew it was going to be super gory and it was an R-rated movie that for some unknown reason my mom would, was letting me go see with my dad. But, yeah, like, again, like, when I'm watching it, there's just, like, tits everywhere. There are tits. I think there's more tits than gore in this movie. And I was surprised watching it again that even though it is gory – it's not as gory as I remember it being. It's and not. It's really not that gory at all, to be honest. And a lot of the kills are off screen. They, they mm-hmm. cut away, which that's kind of the same thing with Saw. That first Saw movie is not that gory, uh, but people remember it as being very gory. And maybe that's just kind of a statement on how the torture porn genre evolved with the sequels. Which, again, I haven't seen Hostel 2 in a while. But, I mean, besides the bloodbath scene, I don't remember... Oh, I guess also the castration. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, the second one's gorier. The second one is gorier. And it's more prolonged. Um, so I've got an article that I'm going to reference later. But essentially, yeah. uh, one of the big takeaways, and it's probably one of the reasons why the second one has that lower audience score and critical reviews. So the the scene, the Countess Bathory scene in the second film, right. goes for six and a half minutes. Whereas Josh's torture in this film goes on for five minutes and five seconds. So... It's, not, it's like a minute and a half longer, but, but, but also, yeah, but Josh, like you don't, so we'll just jump to, jump into it. Um, it. Josh is the good guy of this movie. He's quote unquote, cause honestly, he, the gay panic is the gay extreme. panic is insane, but and I, I don't remember this happening, but whenever he, so basically what happens is he runs in, they run into this guy on the train and this guy is like, um, you know, kind of weird. He's eating food with his hands and he talks and he touches Josh's, um, Derek Richardson's knee and they freak out. They call him a faggot, a fucking freak. Um, and then, you know, Paxton, the Jay Hernandez character makes fun of Paxton, uh, makes fun of Josh and is like, Oh, like you finally got laid. But later when they're at a club, he, Josh runs into this guy again. And he's, he's outside, and he's like, hey, let me buy you a drink. And they talk, and, of course, Paxton is heckling him again. He says, um, 
I don't know. He calls him a pussy or something. Or oh, he makes a he makes a va- vagina symbol with his hands and calls him a pussy when he's sitting there talking to this guy that like touches me earlier. Of course he does. <laughs> but then like he apologizes to him and they kind of have a little moment like where the guy basically admits to being gay but says, you know, I chose a family and I couldn't be happier because my little girl means everything to me. And I do want to touch onto that more because the word choice really bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then Josh touches his knee. I don't remember that happening. Uh, oh, really? No, I don't. And mm. so it was an, an interesting choice for me. But anyway, so Josh kind of makes amends for his douchebag behavior. Um, and I do think there's something to be said about Josh as a character as being a latent homosexual and kind of in love with Paxton, mm-hmm. which, again, we'll get into. But, uh, yeah, so Josh is the first one to get it. He gets drugged immediately. Well, he's not the first one. Their guy, their friend Oli is the first one to get it. Also killed off screen, though. You see his decapitated head later, and then that's it. Yeah, but, they uh, don't even find his body or anything later. No. And with there, <laughs> there's a part where like the, the, the hostile people, the elite hunters, they send, they text Paxton a picture of Oli and um, the Asian girl that he was with that also was tortured. And they're sitting in front of this like tower in Amsterdam or in Slovakia. And Paxton sees it later, um, which kind of a big coincidence. But I also want to be like, when did they prop these bodies up in the open public <laughs> and take this picture? Unless it was like just a backdrop. They just had a picture of like, you know, in the JC, well, I want to say JC Penny um, holiday photos. They have like the still like the backdrops that you can take pictures of for Christmas family photos. But um, you don't know what a JC Penny is, I don't think. Do you? I do. Yeah. Uh, do I have- referenced it in the last episode. Right. No, you After said confusing it for fully. Walgreens. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I but yeah, no, the, yeah, the it smacked of of a backdrop to me. Okay. But well, I I wonder if that's just one of those things where they're like, well, we know that we're going to kill so many people, and we probably can't hide the fact that all of these individuals have just gone missing after coming to this small fairy tale esque town. So yeah. we probably need to come up with some photographic proof that they have moved on. Let's invest in a twenty dollar JC Penny backdrop. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so Josh gets kidnapped first and he wakes up and he gets drilled in his leg, which they do an extreme close up shot on, um, which is pretty intense. And that's um, not a euphemism, folks. He yeah, sorry. Gets drilled. <laughs> Literally gets a power drill in his leg. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when, when, okay, so the, the guy, the character is referenced as the Dutch businessman because they're yeah. all just various nationality businessmen. Right. But then, internet fandom has called him salad fingers so let's call him salad fingers salad um, fingers that's but okay whatever it's so disparaging right yeah um, but when he drops the drill onto the table i love that there's a weird it's i mean obviously a prosthetic because they did not actually drill this actor in uh the leg but it's got a like a little piece of a flesh yes on it. and i'm like i don't understand why the drill would have like it would have just drilled into his leg it's like, when you use a drill, you don't pull out pieces of whatever it is you're drilling into. <laughs> okay, so I, admittedly, I don't use power tools ever. But I thought that, yeah, pieces of wood or whatever you're drilling into do come out of it. Because where does it go? Because that's like the rule of physics like or something in science. Like, you know, matter is neither created nor destroyed. So where does the wood go when you're drilling into it? Well, I mean, that that's why it's uh, serrated like that. So as you're drilling, it's coming out of that. But it's... I don't, I don't. Maybe think you're it right. does. I don't think you're right. 
Um, Welcome back to <laughs> Queer Power Tools. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> if you're aware of what if wood comes out of a drill when you pull it out of the piece of wood that you're drilling into, can you please let us know? Uh, no, just let Trace know. I don't actually care. <laughs> no, at us, please. At us both. <laughs> but anyway, but oh, but and when he puts the drill down, there's also like seven more holes in Josh. Uh, which they don't show. Sorry, that that was my point uh, earlier before we got on this tangent. They, they don't show a lot of Josh. Like, I mean, yeah, you see the one extreme close up of the drill in his legs, and then yeah, I think you hear the audio of like him screaming and a couple more like ring, ring, but... yes. And then there's a lot of vomit. I actually really like the use of vomit in this movie. I think it's done very well, <laughs> um, especially when Paxton has the ball gag in his mouth and he's vomiting all over it. It's like because it's so re- like th- that. That is how your body would react to that. That is insane. Oh, hundred um, percent. And it is. It's really nasty looking. Like it's appropriately disgusting. Yeah, it's like it's like snot, like viscousy, and it's like hanging from his chin. Blah, blah. And then yeah, so then, but you also don't see it when he cuts his Achilles tendon. Until he stands up. But, like, you don't see the actual cutting happen. You just hear and you see him screaming. And it's mm-hmm. it's a really effective scene. And you know the trivia about that, right? No. What, what, what do you mean? So the trivia is that in the reason that... Okay, so Josh gets... He screams twice. He he screams and then he and then it kind of cuts and then comes back to him. And he's, like, screaming even more. And he looks, like, really, really distraught. Yeah. And it turns out it's because he had actually moved the chair up and down. And it had essentially cut into a piece of his foot. Like, it, oh. it cut his toe. So that second time that he's screaming, that's full-on legitimate agony. Because he has essentially sliced his toe nearly off, I think. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, that... I- Derek Richardson, if you ever listen to this, I hope you're okay. I hope your toe's fine. Yeah, and apparently Eli Roth was like, well, if you want to get out of here earlier, like, really sell the scene for me. <laughs> That's Dick fantastic. Move. I yeah. Uh, I don't think he ever did any more horror movies after this, because he went straight to uh, Dumb and Dumber. Oh, wait, but, yeah, that was after this. That was after this, I think. Um, uh, Hostel got him bigger and better things. No, that that is a word for that movie, um, or phrase for that movie. But yeah, so, you know, it it's not as violent as I remember. Like, I think the grossest thing in the whole movie is, oh, it's that eyeball. It's when he has to cut the eyeball off the Asian girl and the pus just spews out. Mm-hmm. Did that. you watch the unrated or the rated edition? I watched unrated. Okay. Yeah. So apparently it has a couple seconds more of fluid popping out. Yep. On set, they called that the eyegasm. It was gross. Um, I can do a lot of blood and gore. I cannot do pus. Pus really grosses me out. Um, and it was like, did you, I know you were watching the commentary, but you had the unrated version, right? Yes. Okay. It was like bubbling. It, what I love though is like when he cuts it, it there's like a two second gap. It's like a spurt. <laughs> and, and then it's like dribble, dribble, <laughs> bubble. And, and then it just spews and it's so fucking gross. And then for some reason it doesn't dry on her face, which, I don't get, I mean, I'm happy that I don't have to see that later, but I feel like it would dry on her face. But yeah, so you want to talk about the homophobia in this movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're dancing around it. You, you've done a good primer for it, but okay. So what, what makes the guy so unbearable in that first part? I mean, okay, well, I, do you remember finding it unbearable when you first saw it 12 years ago? I remember feeling uncomfortable and thinking that the guys were really jackasses. 
I mean, I was out by the time that I saw this movie, mm-hmm. and I I remember thinking, okay, wow, these guys are douchebags, they're assholes. I I remember thinking when the leg scene happens on the train, that yeah. it was kind of like, oh, that's a weird incident. And then, of course, you're like, well, this is a movie, so something's going to pay off later. So when that guy shows back up at the bar, you're like, okay, he's probably going to be involved in this. But I wasn't expecting that reversal where Josh actually apologizes, and it seems like they come to right. some kind of, not cathartic, but they they... They kiss and make up. They pat legs and make up. Um, which kind of makes it, which does make that torture scene more effective. It absolutely, because had that scene not happened, I'd be like, oh, fuck this guy, like whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, to me, and particularly on the rewatch this time, I, f- I felt like the most interesting part of the movie is that subsection. And this is one of those things where I always have to pause and kind of be like, well, as, a queer man is it because you're naturally drawn and interested in queer stories so to me that's the most interesting piece but in reading other people's reviews it became very clear that because josh ends up with that redemptive arc and then it also gets cut short because he's then immediately killed mm-hmm. uh people seem to gravitate to to that and think that that's the more interesting aspect of this film and also because Pax is a terrible character, and I never care whether he lives or dies. Very true. And, you know, I was just thinking about, too, where I was at this point in my life when it came out. And I, I, I realize I'm backtracking a bit here, but um, I had come out to my parents in um, August of 05. Um, and oh, so it was still fresh for you. Yeah. Well, and we were still not on the best terms because, you know, again, like, you know, I went through my one session of therapy and, you know, I wasn't allowed to date boys, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so again, seeing this with my dad, which again, I was still close to my dad, but, um, seeing it with him, I, I, I do remember the, the train car scene with the touching of the leg off the top of my head. I don't remember all the faggots. Like I don't remember that word being thrown around so flippantly mm-hmm. and boy, do they throw that word around quite a bit. Like, <sighs> Here, here, like, here's just a kind of a rundown, like, of just some of the stuff. Um, the first instance of, like, which it's not really homophobia, but it's just, like, like anti masculinity is when Josh is wearing the fanny cap, fanny pack, and Paxton's like, go have fanny pack sex with him, and you can jizz all over them together with your fanny pack sex. Oh, that, no, that was homophobia, because he was talking about going to the other guy with the fanny pack. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of don't be a pussy, um, which, I'm not really a fan of the word pussy in general. Uh, I think it's gross, not because of like what it represents. I just think it sounds gross. <laughs> um, like I have nothing against vaginas. I think they're beautiful things, but you know, the word pussy is just kind of gross. When they're, <laughs> when they are in the club in the beginning and Josh like runs into a girl and the, her boyfriend comes over and Josh says, I'll fuck your faggot ass up to that guy. Um, and then they get kicked out of the club and there's a big line and Paxton's all pissy and he's yelling at the people. I don't know why you guys are waiting. It's a fucking fag fest in there. It's all fucking cocks. Don't go in there. And that, that was the one, honestly, on my rewatch where I was like, oh, fuck, like these guys. And I mean, this is like the first like 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, these are your characters. These are your protagonists. Cheer for them. <laughs> yes. Then of course, you know, there's the aforementioned knee touching when they get to the hostel, the girl's like, oh, you're going to have a roommate. And he goes, this is Paxton. Roommates, huh? That's gay. But then, of course, it's fine because it's like two sexy women in the room. They – oh, no. When Paxton is having a drink with um the um salad fingers, Paxton does say, hey, Josh, faggot, like when he holds up the vagina symbol. And then – 
I think that's kind of it with just the the faggot word, which I, it doesn't sound like a lot, but honestly, like when you you learn that like that that word is like a, like a alarm sound, it really sticks out a lot. Well, and you know, we're talking about a film that, for the most part, like it has essentially no dialogue in the last forty minutes. There's very little dialogue once Paxton wakes up, right? Uh, so really, the bulk of the dialogue is comprised of this frat boy humor. That so okay so one of the things that came out in doing some of the research for this episode is that Eli Roth ended up taking a, a fair amount of heat for the use of of gay slurs in the film, oh. and he justified it essentially by saying, "Well, this is the way that people actually talk, and you're not." You know, he thinks that he's legitimately portraying a subsection of people. And that it's all in service of their character arc. So you're not meant to like them. You feel like they deserve what they get. But then you realize, oh, they're actually cogs in this larger machine. And the, you know, these privileged white rich people are selling them. And all of a sudden, then you're, you're meant to reverse track and question those assumptions and think like, and no, I do want these poor kids to get out of this hellhole. And see, like, I, I, I do believe that. I mean, like, because honestly, I'm sure there are people that talk like that. I don't surround myself with those people. So I'm not, I can't really say, but I'm sure there are. And, you know, it, it's kind of a tricky question because it's like, I get what he's doing and I get what he's saying. And I do think that the movie does, there is a lot of, not a lot, but there's a good bit of like dark comedy in the movie. Um, specifically around like, like how, and it does poke fun at their douchebaggedness, douchebagginess, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. But, it also kind of becomes a factor where it's like, do, as a filmmaker, you know, you have a responsibility to kind of represent, um, I don't know, whatever society you're trying to get across. Do we want to, even though these characters exist, like, people like these characters exist, do we want to put them in movies where other people can see them and become influenced by them? Yeah, or even potentially misconstrue the messaging behind the film where people just they go to see that they see themselves on screen and they're like, cool, bro. Exactly. Like you're not getting this. These people are meant to be assholes. Like you're not meant to like them for that purpose. Well, and and Josh, again, could, it could be seen by someone who's a douchebag, who's a total homophobe that because Josh seeks redemption and makes a gay motion towards this man, then he gets immediately killed. Then Mm -hmm. that's why he got killed is because he was gay. Yeah. Or or exhibited gay queer qualities. Yeah. Or you flip it around and you've got a repressed homosexual killer, which was for the longest time in Hollywood, the only depiction of queers were these homicidal maniacs. So here's this guy who, air quotes, made a choice to have a family, can't handle it and has to go to Slovakia to kill young queers. That That is something, too, that like. Because all all the killers in this, I guess the, it's really only the German businessman and that the American guy. Like, do we see any of the other killers? Well, there is the cameo by Takeshi Mike, who is Eli Ross. Like, oh, I worship you. That um, so he's meant to be a killer, but you don't actually see him do anything. You just see him walking out of the building. Oh, okay. I was like, I, I didn't even catch that cameo. Um, but it, it, all of these men have like, so. J- j- German Dutch businessman guy, salad fingers. He, mm-hmm. you know, repressed homosexual. Cool. 
Uh, I mean, not cool, obviously, but you know. Uh, and then the, <laughs> we're checking them off. Yeah, the American guy who's obviously like a tiny dicked asshole. Yes, I was like he's overcompensating for some tiny penis. Like that's clearly yeah. what this is. And yeah, he drives the pussy wagon. He drove it up yeah. to Slovakia. <laughs> Absolutely. And the sequel does more of that. Um, and it's all these businessmen. It's all these like awful tiny cocked businessmen that are overcompensating for something that they're that they're missing. Mm-hmm. Um. That is the commentary of the second film, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and the second one, I, I know we're not talking about it, but it is a good switcheroo, too, with the two lead villains of the film mm-hmm. um, that I really like. I, we'll see in a rewatch if it, like, holds up or tracks or anything, because I remember it's very sudden. But, yeah, so, I don't know. It, it, is Hostel problematic? Like, it, it, if I was 14 and watching this movie now and, you know, I... I am, I'm not coming out. I haven't come out yet. I'm struggling with my sexuality. Like, watching Hostel might kind of make me feel really shitty about myself. Yeah, it's interesting because... So, this is another film. It's not quite on the same level as Scream, but there are tons of people who don't read Josh as latent gay or maybe even, like, you know, there could be some of that inference, which to me on this rewatch, and partially it's just because we're looking for it because this is a queer horror podcast, but... right. There are people who look at it and they don't see that. They just see like, oh, here's this guy who flipped out on a stranger on the train and then he later apologizes to him and they don't see the queerness in it. And I'll confess, actually, originally I didn't I, – I caught a glimpse of it, but I actually had to go and read a bunch of different reviews to be like, am I off the mark? Am I inferring things and seeing things that aren't there? And I came across this old – well, it's old now because it's defunct, but at the time there was a website that was run by a guy named Chris Eggerson. Oh, yeah. He used to write for Bloody. Yeah. And so he had a site called Camp Blood. And he would essentially just go through all these different horror movies and be like, here's what's queer in this movie. And is it worth watching? And he was like, here's all this gay shit in Hostel. Like, people can miss it, but it's totally right there. And he had all the Josh and Salad Fingers. And then, of course, he was like, and obviously Josh is in love with Paxton. That's why he's looking at them when they're they're having sex. That was was my big thing, okay? Because I... Yeah, on my first viewing, you know, years ago, I've seen Hostel a couple times. Like, I mean, not a lot. I've seen Saw a lot more. But I I, I totally forgot that, yeah, when they're having sex, he is staring at Paxton. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, for half of it. Like, he'll occasionally look at the girl that's straddling his dick. But then the other 50% of the time, he's just looking at Paxton, and they're looking at each other making sex eyes. I'm just like, what? Also, is that a thing that straight guys do? Do they, like, are they okay, like, bringing girls up to their room and having sex in the same room? Straight guys, talk to me. (laughs) Straight guys, slide into Trace's DMs. I just, I, well, no, because there's a lot of that no homo stuff that goes on in this movie. Like, um, uh, when, when he's drawing on Ollie's ass, like, next to Josh's face. Yeah. And and then later, Ollie, I guess it could be said because Ollie is, um... Icelandic? Is that what he was? I think he's Icelandic. Yes, yeah. Because Eli Roth went to Iceland and he was like, oh my god, I love all these things. So that's why the virus is from Iceland in Cabin Fever and that's why there's an Icelandic character in this film. Oh, see, I didn't, I don't remember the virus being from Iceland. But yes, I did know that about the actor. And then, yeah, when they were in the uh, sauna, he again waves his penis in Josh's mm-hmm. face and Josh is like, get your anteater away. And it's like, okay. But again, like... It, but it has that whole, like, no homo thing about it. They're like, oh, no, we're not gay because, you know, we're with these titties over here. But seriously, they're doing so many gay things in this movie. It's insane. It is. It's that weird straddling. Um, 
to me it it's more part of the no homo culture where you see it a lot i find in sports movies as well mm-hmm. like films that are centered on high school teen boys who play sports and it's you know part of that ritual where it's like they're you know doing stupid shit where they're all naked in the shower or in the change room and it's it's almost like hey yeah like oh we've all we've all got dicks and like whose is the biggest and blah 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 but at the same time you're like dude that's the gayest shit ever like do you not realize this liminal line that you're straddling and please note the use of our language (laughs) Well, and th- th- it's very strange. I mean, like, I, and I don't get how I- I've never understood the no homo thing. Like, I'm like, okay, but literally what you're, well, okay, but see, then maybe what I'm saying is problematic because I'm saying, okay, well, as straight men, you should be able to compare your penises and, you know, it's not gay. It's okay because you're whatever. But it also is really gay. And so maybe it's problematic <laughs> that I'm saying that. I don't really know. Well, I think it becomes problematic in instances like this where people could see it and they could misinterpret it. Or one of the weird things that I found is I've met so many – and again, we're talking now mostly about gay men. Um, yeah. I found there's so many gay men who come from deeply religious backgrounds mm-hmm. or who were like – hockey players, football, basketball, volleyball, whatever, like, you know, they they were big time athletes. And they're they're coming from these different cultures that have that kind of like no homo idea, or it's like just repeatedly drilled into them, like, you need to be masculine, you can't be effeminate, you can't do this kind of stuff. But both of those cultures somehow end up producing a disproportionate number of gay men. Oh, well, okay, here, straight guys, l- listen up. Uh, so <laughs> if if you ever are thinking about if something you're doing is too gay, um, videotape it. And... <laughs> And, and then put it on the internet and make <laughs> money. <laughs> yes. And yeah, but actually, yeah, you can easily do that. Um, but you should also, you know, put a vote. Like, send, and you don't have to do it publicly. You know, you can send it to just me and Joe or just me. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know what you're thinking, but we'll, we'll tell you. We'll, we'll tell you what we think. We'll be totally honest and not judgmental at all. So that's my spiel, <laughs> as the Jews say. Okay, I'm cutting that out. <laughs> no, that's from Bad Teacher. It's a Bad Teacher quote. <laughs> She's. <laughs> It's really funny, but it's really offensive. <laughs> yeah, you're not Cameron Diaz, and people can't see the motions that you're making, and so on. I know. I actually did her little hair flip when she says in that movie. She has like a little, uh, like, as she's sitting on the desk, all sexy-like. Anyway, so going back, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's just kind of, it was weird to me to watch it. Um, I haven't seen Hostel in about probably six years, because, again, it's not really a movie that you just want to put on just for shits and giggles. And I was really conflicted. I mean, again, this is on the first 45 minutes. I think the last 45 minutes, because this is like a 90 minute movie is solid. Like I think all the stuff once Paxton um, gets kidnapped is great. Oh, there is one other thing. When Josh is getting drugged, like right before he gets kidnapped, he's like fantasizing about seeing Paxton in the bar where he's at. Mm-hmm. Like, Cause he's not there. Or like he's, he's, he walks outside, he walks somewhere where Paxton is not, and he sees Paxton, which really hammers in, like, he's so in love with Paxton, which... Yeah, he's on his mind all the time. All the time. I'd actually be very fascinated to talk to Eli Roth. And again, like I said before, you know, Eli Roth gets a lot of flack. I actually think he'd be a really fascinating interview. And I don't think he's a douchebag. I- I'm sure he's a nice guy. He just tends to write real douchebag characters. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm So I haven't had the opportunity to see that new documentary series that he debuted at the end of last year. I haven't either. Okay. So I don't know whether or not he's kind of matured. Uh, I will say 
listening to the audio commentary on the DVD, and there's like five of them. There's an executive producer cut. There's one with actors. There's one. He's on all of them. And I imagine, God, he must run out of stories. But so I chose to listen to just the one with him because I remember watching it when I first got the DVD and finding it informative. And and it confirms a lot of the stuff that you may be thinking about, like how he constructed the story and what inspired it. Does he give good commentary? He's actually not too bad, but he, he does honestly come off like a very entitled novice horror fan like it was shocking so uh here's some fun facts for you okay (laughs) so he cites three films as inspiring this movie he says like you know i was i was watching these movies and i just love them so much and i feel like people you know may not know them and i wanted to like really capture their spirit the films he cites are audition hence the takashi miki hard right Wicker Man, which makes sense because it's about an entire community essentially duping a foreigner into a sacrifice. Yeah. And then the original The Vanishing, which I'll confirm not many people have actually seen that one. And it's a great film. Everybody should go and seek it out. Yeah, I've only seen the American remake. Do not watch the American remake. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually Uh, isn't that bad, but it's not great. The original one is much, much better. because Because I know what the difference is with the ending. And I'm just like, oh, like... Again, knowing how it ends, I really have to be in the mood for it's like to watch something that is it nihilistic? Is that the right it, word for it? Yeah, it's, it's so downer. Yeah, it's a big downer of an ending. Um, spoilers for the vanishing. Um, but it doesn't have the American one has a moderately happier ending. <laughs> yeah, still, still want one, but not quite as bad. Yeah, but, but Sandra it, Bullock, it, man. Yeah, early Sandra Bullock. Yes. But I just found it interesting that so he. He essentially thinks that he's bringing a flavor of these underseen films. But then he he goes on to talk about how he pitched this idea. And while he was doing uh, press tours for Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever. What did I say? No, no, no. I was just... Fever. I was trying to say it at the same time. It was like a jinx. Like we, we, we said Cabin Fever at the same time. Oh, okay. I see. I ruined yeah. your joke. No, I, it wasn't a joke. I was just trying to be cute. Um, but he ended up like essentially catching Quentin Tarantino's ear and Quentin Tarantino, of course, like, you know, picture Quentin Tarantino being like, Oh my God, fuck yeah, man. You got to write that script. Everybody's going to like lap it up, blah, blah, blah. Jerking off motion. motion. I can imagine Quentin Tarantino like taking the film reels and like literally jizzing all over them and being like, here you go. Take it back. So he's, he's on one of the commentaries and I was, I think I listened for like two minutes and I was like, no, I can't do this. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like Tarantino as a director. I don't know how I feel about him as a person. <laughs> well, especially now, but yeah, but yeah, the, the big piece that he had was, he was like, I wanted to make this movie. This is Eli Roth again. He wanted to make this movie and have it be up there in the, you know, the pinnacles of, of horror, the the kinds right. of classics. And he says, like, I want it to be like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, like these movies that people are going to watch 30 years from now, like, yeah, let's put on Hostel. And I was just like, you, yeah. I'm sure you're a lovely person, but you are fucking deluded if you well, think you are making a modern classic with, and we haven't even gotten to the xenophobia. Yeah, I, which I, I do have a, 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 it's a shorter list than the homophobia, but I do have like little mentions, and you may remember more than I do, because I'm not as great at spotting the xenophobic stuff, but yeah, we can get to that too. But yeah, no, I, 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 I can only imagine, like, he's recording this commentary probably after the movie's already in theaters, so it's like, you know, whatever. He's riding high on this amazing opening weekend for a film of this kind. Also, you know, riding Quentin Tarantino's dick, um, Tarantino's mm-hmm. dick, um, he is, 
high man on camp. I mean, like, again, he's <laughs> sorry. I'm just thinking that's like its own porno parody, writing Quentin Tarantino's dick. <laughs> it's, like, I mean, there's a fanfic. I'm sure that's a fan fiction out there somewhere. Um, someone's into it. I don't know. There's a fan fiction about everything. <laughs> We're making so many enemies. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad if you write fan fiction where Eli Roth and Quentin Tarantino are fucking like that's totally cool. There's someone out there for that. There's an audience for everything, kids. Yes, an audience for everything. That is what I was trying to say. So I'm sure, yeah, he was writing on this high, which probably contributed to like that air of snobbery. But and, you know, as we'll learn later, Hostel 2 flopped like bad. And he Um, feels more passionately about that one. Like Which he is didn't, uh, good, good. He didn't want to make it, but he, I think he's actually happier with the quality of the film. And I think we both agree it is by far the better of the two films. It is a better film. And I'm actually surprised because I've been asking people on Twitter and Facebook about this. And most, like, probably 90% of the responses I've gotten have been like, oh, yeah, it's, it is Hostile Part 2 is Roth's most like, accomplished and like well put together film. I've gotten a couple that are like, what? No, that's insane. Like the first one's way better. The second one's trash. And I'm like, mm, like, I think you need to rewatch them because, <laughs> and the first one's not trash, mind you. Like, I, I do think there's a lot to like about the first one, but the first one, like the second one is, ju- it just works so much better than the first one does. Just to clarify, your poll was about those two films, not his entire portfolio, right? Well, my poll was about those two films, but I did okay. have people, but people, because you said his most accomplished film, and I was like, well, I don't know if I would agree no, with that. No, people but. did know. I, I, but so that's the thing. I was asking about those two movies, and they, people would come back and say, no, 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 out of all of his movies, all of his film, wait, 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 like, wait, I'm sorry. They were, yeah, they were talking about his whole filmography, but what were you, what do you think is a better film of his? Well, even now, as I'm saying it out loud and I'm looking through it, I'm kind of like, huh, what What would I say like, is actually maybe, better than... It? Maybe Cabin Fever, maybe. But again, like, yeah. if I'm going to... Cabin Fever is such a juvenile effort. Like, it's, it it's basically all of the first 45 minutes strung out with, I would say, maybe better gore effects. Well, there's more gore effects in Cabin Fever. I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say they're better. Um, but there's definitely more of them. Uh, but also the um, oh, fuck, what's that lead guy's name? Who's from Boy Meets World? Uh, Riley, right, Ryder Strong. His character is more likable than any of the characters in Hostel, though. Hmm. He's not perfect, but he's more likable than these guys. Yeah, well, it doesn't take much. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sorry. Getting yeah, back. Sorry, on track. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so walk um, me through your xenophobic list. Okay, so I only had a couple. There was a comment about Foreskin because, oh, the way it's, it's when they're in the sauna and, you know, the anteater joke and the girls are like, oh, y'all are from Iceland. And uh, Josh is like, no, I'm from America. I have my foreskin removed. I mean, he doesn't say it like super like, you know, gay like I just did. But <laughs> it's <laughs> it's he, he says it very in a negative way. Like foreskin is bad. And then, oh, when I the the girl the asian girl is asking where her friend went and she's like he went he went with your friend and paxton's like uh all it doesn't even like asian girls no offense yeah i remember there, that part there's a fl- and apparently there was supposed to be something ab- about that like that's actually a piece that references the fact that when he goes off or like when they get the picture and it's him with the girl it was like oh, that's supposed to like send alarm bells because he's a fucking racist so he wouldn't have gone off with that girl that's your alarm oh, that he's God. dead. And you're like, that's terrible. Like, that's Which, just not even. Ugh. It's actually kind of funny, though, because he, Ollie, oh, Oli, whatever, isn't like a super likable character, but he's the least homophobic out of the three. So 
why make him a racist? <laughs> because they've all got to be shit heels. Yeah. And then it's like, well, what's worse? I mean, they're both terrible, obviously. I don't even know how you compare them. But anyway, there is also a comment that I think Paxton says this, where he says to Josh, like, oh, this is how it is in Europe. Like, people leave each other and split for other countries all the time. Like, they don't give a shit about personal relationships. They just leave. Those those were my big three that I caught. But admittedly, I wasn't on the hunt for xenophobia as much as I was for the homophobia. So did you have any other big ones about xenophobia? No, I mean, I think part of it, more broadly speaking, is... The suggestion that the entire town of fictional Slovakia, right? Like, like in in the commentary, they talk about how they sought out this town because it kind of looks like a Disneyland esque town, like mm-hmm. a Beauty and the Beast kind of thing. I think the idea is that you know Roth is very aware that you can't make a movie like this and set it in Wisconsin or Hawaii, right? Right. Um, and we've uh, seen other. Well, you can. Uh, well, no, I, I was just going to say, because like, they, have you seen Hostel Part 3? No. It is set in Las Vegas. Oh. It's Which not- kind of makes sense with the betting angle. Yeah. It's not a good, it's actually like really bad. I was kind of disappointed. Like I was like, it can't be that bad. It's really bad. <laughs> okay. So we'll take that off the list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think there's any, oh, I, I don't know. I've only seen it once, but that's it. But we see that in, like, this is a bit of a common trope with some of these and sorry i'm doing that thing where i like (laughs) i feel like i'm trying to go in 10 different directions at once it's not an uncommon trope in some of these torture porn or like tourism torture porn like i'm thinking of touristas i'm thinking of even stuff like the ruins where uh even like a bit of the grudge where it's stupid americans travel to a foreign country don't understand the language don't understand the people don't uh you know essentially understand the laws and they get into trouble in various kinds of ways but i remember this film in particular being highlighted for that because it's like essentially it's dumb white kids preying on this idea that they can go to slovakia and get all the pussy um I don't think my delivery was quite as good as yours, but yeah, no. Uh, I was trying to copy uh, that guy with the mole's voice. It's poo- there's such a. I'm not going to do the rest of it. American pussy, pussy. It's like p o o o o o o s s y. Yeah, because <laughs> he's like uh, he's such a caricature villain, and I know. But all of these people are right. Like this idea that the police are in on it. The you know yeah. the train station. Like I feel like it's designed to. To suggest, oh, well, there was never a chance for these kids to get out. And even the fact that, you know, Pax gets onto the train and he manages to kill Salad Fingers, but then ends up dying in the first scene of the second uh, film. Did you watch the director, the animated cut with the alternate ending? No. So I didn't either, but there is one. And apparently the alternate ending is he doesn't interact with the Dutch businessman. He takes the Dutch businessman's daughter on the train. And the last shot is him on the train looking at the Dutch businessman with like his the guy's daughter and like they're going on the train away. But Ooh. test audiences hmm. thought that it was it, a, it's too dark. It's too dark and there's not enough catharsis in it. And it's like, oh well, is Paxton just as bad as these other guys? And I'm like, well, I mean he's a terrible character. Um But which, hey, like guess what? The the whole point of this film is it's it's like a weird inversion of the final girl trope where, you know, the only way that Paxson can survive from this experience is he has to engage in the same kind of morally reprehensible activities. Like he has to go on yeah. his killing spree to get out. 
And then he takes it one step further by actually going after Salad Fingers in the end. Well, and, which and, is meant to be morally complicated, but you're just like, Meh. like it is, and because we don't care about him. No, uh, honestly, I don't. You don't care about him until the opening scene of Hostel Two, which again he pulls a Friday the Thirteenth Part Two and like you know kills him in the opening scene. But he like he it shows him with his girlfriend Jordan Ladd from Cabin Fever going through PTSD and like how this trauma has affected him. Mm-hmm. You don't get anything like that in this movie because he's a terrible fucking person. Yeah, and I also. Wait, no, sorry, no. Did you have any more on xenophobia before? Because I wanted to bring up one more thing about all the gay shit, but we can, I can go into it in a second. Well, I guess my one other thing, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's xenophobic or just misogynistic, but I mean, there's some fun shit with the the way that women are portrayed as basically they're all hookers, and whether yeah. you want to whether you want to argue that the two women are savvy businesswomen because they're in on the scheme and they're willing to get paid for luring men to their penis fly trap but uh there's that and then the fact that um uh, what's her name i can't even remember her name because she's not a character no kana the other uh chinese girl oh japanese girl the one with that that gets kidnapped first no her friend oh the one that gets her eye cut off yeah Oh, yeah, no, she's just there. (laughs) But, like, the fact that she basically catches her own reflection at the train station, sees that she's disfigured, she's perfectly fine. She has lost an eye. That is literally the only thing wrong with her. And she decides to commit suicide by jumping in front of a train. But, no, there's a trivia about that, though, where she, like, the actress in full makeup, like, she looked herself in the mirror and she started crying. And she basically told Eli Roth, like, I understand why my character would commit suicide looking like this. And so... Oh, please. I, I, hey, I, I'm just repeating what I read on the internet. And if it's on the internet, it has to be true. Anyway, not really. That's a joke. It's on EliRothTruth.com. <laughs> he's like, he probably has like a catalog book of all these defenses he has to use against the questions he's expecting to get from his movies. <laughs> no, my film's not homophobic. No, it's not xenophobic. No, it's not misogynistic. And here's I'm like why. a really good guy. I... Yes. And again, for all I know, he... I mean, I, I, I've, I don't, I've never seen like really any interviews with him to where like to make that decision. Um, but going back to Svetlana and Natalia, um, which I think Natalia is the main one, the brunette, and Svetlana is the blonde. Oh, I can't uh, tell you. Natalia is the dark-haired one, and Svetlana is the blonde. Okay, Svetlana literally does nothing in this movie. I don't even think she says like more than two lines. I don't know that she knows English. Probably not. Natalia, though, I actually like really thought she was interesting. And my fa- my favorite part of the movie is when she lures Paxton away, and he's mm-hmm. like calling her a fucking bitch, and she's like, "I get a lot of money for you, and that's make you my bitch." I wanted to stand up and clap. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, "You could kill him. You could kill him. I'd be happy with that." Yes, and again, it's also like, okay, so his go to is "You fucking bitch. You fucking whore." Like, okay, like let's g- get more colorful, like. That, He's that Billy is, 10 years later. It's ba- Yeah, it, it, he really is. Uh, but yeah, so no, I, I love that whole part of the movie. And then I'm trying to think. Oh, what, what about Paxton uh, like, randomly knowing German and that kind of saves his life? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand. That That was like a, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> The plot contrivance that needs to happen, right? Yeah. Oh, and he's going to law school, so we should feel bad for him. Like, he's just getting his rocks off before he uh, has to go to study for the bar exam. Or he's going to turn into one of the characters from part two, had he been allowed to <laughs> oh, thrive yeah. and survive. Yeah. Dude. Oh, and you know what? That would have been really interesting. If, I, Well, I don't know how they would have made that work, but yeah, for sure. And then 
Oh, so the one thing I wanted to know is I'm going to go back to the the gay stuff. Have you looked at all the posters for this movie? I Okay, so I had completely forgotten. I remember that there were several posters and I couldn't remember which one ended up being the most prominently featured. And then when I looked it up today, I was like, oh... Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So tell them about the post. So, so readers, um, I'll do one. You do the other one. I'll do the other one. If you can remember what they all are. Um, let me see if I can look them up. Okay. So the and first also they're one, not readers. They're listeners. Oh, damn it. Right. Listeners. Sorry. I'm so, I'm not used to podcasting. So yeah, the first one is actually the cover of the DVD. It's this guy in leather daddy, like mask gear with a chainsaw. Uh, but the chainsaw is strategically placed to where it's coming out of his crotch area. So it looks like he has a big old boner. Um, but the boner is the chainsaw, and he's just you know, in this BDSM gear. Super gay. What's the second one, Joe? Well, that was the one that I had, but there's. I'm seeing there's another one with a man standing in, like, a full leather apron outfit, and he's got a chainsaw, but it's, like, essentially almost at waist level, and it's just pointing off to the side. Okay. Like, he's got a crooked dick. So, I don't... Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I've seen that one, yes. So... There are two more than I didn't know about that one. Uh, one of them is um, a man getting a drill down his mouth. It looks like he's giving the drill a blowjob. Oh, uh, yes, I see that one. And then there's one that kind of looks like the maniac poster where he's just holding a person's head. Okay, but click on that one and look. So you see there's like, okay, listeners, there's a poster of Hostel. And it's just this guy in jeans and he's holding a severed head. I think it was in, a, in an international poster. Uh, and he's holding a knife too. But there's a, a text, like a review text, like a little blurb. And it's angled right over his crotch. <laughs> right over his crotch. And it it leads into what clearly looks like an erection in his pants. Oh, yes, it does. Like, it is insane. It's so gay. So, listeners, go Google hostile posters and you're going to see some of this shit. It's, it's, I mean, again, I know the marketing has nothing to do with the movie itself. Like, it's not the, the same people. Unless, I mean, fuck, for all I know, Eli Roth was, like, doing the marketing for this movie. But, yeah. The man hey. actually in that poster does kind of look like Eli Roth from <laughs> the l- lower body down. Like, from... <laughs> It's because he was just told that Quentin Tarantino was on the phone for him and he got in a boner like right there. <laughs> He's like, wait, take the picture right now. Take the picture right now. I'm semi there. <laughs> so, yeah, I, again, not like super like want to read into it or anything, but like it's it's there. There's gay. There's penises everywhere. But yeah. So <laughs> which is the other other title of this podcast. Yeah, penises penises everywhere. everywhere. Well, and that's our goal. Our goal is so that more horror films will have penises. Like, you know, we we got some with Suspiria and Hereditary this year in a completely non-sexual way. But more. More penises. That's what we want. And then... um, Oh. (laughs) Your... uh, The quote about um, Slovakia that Eli Roth had. Do you have that? Oh, it's not like a direct quote. Oh, okay. So... That was me paraphrasing. Well, I have the direct quote, uh, and it is this. So, again, uh, this is about uh, after the film came out, Eli Roth got flack for, like, his portrayal of, you know, Slovakians and, like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Because it's uh, basically Eastern Europe fear-mongering. Like, that's what we mean yes. by xenophobia, in case oh. anybody's not certain. Sorry, yeah. If you don't know what xenophobia is and you haven't already Googled it, um, it is the intense or irrational dislike or fear of people from other countries. Uh, so, American. Yeah, a, a lot of Americans. Um, but anyway, so when, when asked, uh, when faced with this issue of like people complaining about how he's portraying people of Eastern Europe, Eli Roth's response was, Americans do not even know that this country, Slovakia, exists. Mm-hmm. My film is not a geographical work, but aims to show Americans' ignorance of the world around them. Okay. That's- Which again, like, you can... S- 
you can see it like he's he's got these interesting intentions like he does know what he's doing but then at the same time and i you know i'm social justice warrior snowflaking like it's mm-hmm. so problematic in the way like that's kind of what makes this movie so interesting is because it's it's having its terrible cake and eating it too and you're just like yes eli roth but also no you idiot <laughs> well Okay, so, so then my question to you is this, and I, I'm going back. To, so the characters are clearly homophobic, and they clearly are xenophobic as well. Yes. Do you think the movie is homophobic and or xenophobic? <sighs> and that's a very important I'm, I'm saying yes and no. Like, and that's in, the, like yes, hom- homophobic, no xenophobic, or like yes and no to both? Yes and no to both. Okay. Uh, well, actually, you know what? I think, it's, I think it's yes and no to homophobic, and I think it's definitely xenophobic. Oh you, oh, you think the movie is xenophobic? I think he's capitalizing on the fear of otherness from other countries. I mean, but, like, isn't that kind of what a lot of horror movies do? No, not other countries, just the fear of otherness, like, is kind of a thing that horror movies do. No, but this is, I mean, this is tantamount to me to people making depiction, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre level, like, people from down south are all, like, hillbillies, they're going to eat you at their pig farm. This is that for Europe. I think you you Canadians have really escaped a lot of, like, crazy stereotypes, minus what I've seen on South Park. (laughs) You're flapping heads. (laughs) It's because we, if if you know anything about Canada, it's that we lack a national identity, so our, our... for many people, our national identity is actually just we're not Americans. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way of putting that. I'm glad that y'all have just really embraced that non-identity. <laughs> that's me broadly speaking, but I can say that when I was doing my <laughs> uh, my failed PhD in Canadian studies, it was literally all just like, but how do you define Canadian cinema? And I'm like movies made in canada with canadian money and they're like we're gonna need you to spend a hundred pages <laughs> on the canadian national identity and i was like peace out well you can just make it up because it's like a blank slate yeah but then you have to talk about like why can't we agree on this <laughs> um okay so yes and no to homophobic well so okay i get why you think it's xenophobic totally get it what, what is your yes and no for homophobic what is that what, what explain that well i think the Josh storyline to me. So mm-hmm. I think if we only had Paxton or we didn't have that redemptive piece for Josh, then I would be like, these characters are terrible. They're using all these slurs. And then, you know, you could argue they get punished for it. But I think we're just meant to infer that they're douchey Americans. Right. But I think it, because the Josh piece is in there and there's some kind of acceptance and there's an... I mean, it's nuance in quotation marks for Eli Roth, but I feel like he's making that attempt to say, you know what, there, there is that semblance of an agreement between the two characters, Salad Fingers and Josh, mm-hmm. that it kind of feels, and then of course, like, I mean, if you want to get sexual, the idea that this repressed queer man literally gets to drill the attractive young boy that he clearly had a crush on, you know, in the torture porn, there's yeah. the pornography. The drill is the phallic substitute. Yeah. So there, there is that interesting queer text. So I think that's how it's having both. I get that. And I guess I would agree. I, I don't think the film is homophobic. I do think it's xenophobic. I think you're totally right. But I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, like what, the first 45 minutes I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, these, like, I wasn't uncomfortable, I guess, but like it, it, it's so off putting. Like everything these characters say is like, it was a miserable, 45 minutes to spend with these fuckers before they started getting killed. Well, yeah, I guess they're really grating. 
Yeah, it, it's bad, which I get, I get is the point. And at no point mm-hmm. do I, but I never think that the movie is approving of this behavior. And that's why I don't think the movie is very homophobic. I do think that the movie is, but, but I get it. They're, it's also kind of reveling in their behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's condoning it to a certain extent and then trying to like pull a fast one and be like, oh, but aren't you sad that Josh died? But Pax look, I'm also doing a psycho homage. So I'm super clever. Well, and it, it, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, and yeah, and Paxton, you're right, doesn't get that redemptive arc, redemptive arc, and he does kill the Dutch businessman. Like he gets to, ki- which I'm actually surprised it didn't go in a, like a, a uh, homosexually themed death. Like, I don't, I'm surprised he didn't like shove something in his mouth or something. Well, dude, it takes place in a bathroom. I yeah, that's true. That's true. Ooh, I got to work in them cruising angles. Yeah. Okay, so then, que- last question is: Do you think Eli Roth is homophobic and or xenophobic? And that I know it's like, a, it, oh, Eli Roth, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh no no i don't i mean we we've ragged on him a bunch uh i actually think he's a talented director i think he he likes he aspires to be controversial mm-hmm. in part because he's i think a really savvy businessman you may or may not like the content of the movies that he's making but he finds really smart angles and he knows how to market them and he knows how to make them on the cheap and he knows how to make them profitable. So, I mean, I don't like the fact that he's essentially leaning into bad or negative elements. Like he's capitalizing on horrible stereotypes, which I would say is actually the worst in the green inferno. And that is like a whole other separate shit show. But in terms of Eli Roth, no, I don't think he is. I I think he's actually a very canny, smart businessman. Well, and like, again, like, you know, there were things watching it uh, the other night where I was like, you know what? There are a lot of, specifically with the editing. I think the editing is really good in Hostel. And the editor mm-hmm. is actually only, oh, no, he, he did Hostel Part 2, Sex Drive, and Hot, Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> uh, very comparable films. Yeah, clearly. They, uh, they all play on, on sexy fun times. P.S. Sex Drive is really good. Hot Tub Time Machine is not. But yeah, I, I, the, the, specifically like when the, the girl was like about to get her toe, no, toe, toe clipped off, uh, and then it cuts to Svetlana or Natalia like clipping their toenails. <laughs> I thought that was a really clever bit. Um, but you know, th- there's a lot in here. I, he clearly has a sense of humor, and it's just it's just a really polarizing the way he does it. Yeah, like it, when people are like, oh, I hate torture porn, I hate hostile, I can understand why. Like, yeah. there's a lot to look at this movie and be like, a lot of it is not an enjoyable experience. Like, if you... But hostile does get its... Like, it, it, it gets the job done. It gets done. a bad rap. It, it, oh, it totally does. And it doesn't deserve it. But, like, it, it does get the job done of what it sets out to do. And for that, like, I, I can commend it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with that. Hostile Part 2 is way better at it. Yeah, or so we remember. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we will because re- that has a lot of lesbian stuff in it. So we we will get to Hostel Part Two one day. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, do you have any closing thoughts about Hostel before we kind of wrap it up? Uh, no, I just have uh, my my game for you for okay. this week. Is this going to be a weekly thing? Are we going to keep doing games? We could. Okay, or well, you can tell me to shut it. <laughs> well, no, I mean if I like it, it's fine. But like you know, if it's shitty, it's. <laughs> but we'll find out. What's the game? Okay, so the game this week is, it's a variation of Fuck, Mary Kill, except that it's called Archive or Trash It. Okay. 
So you can either archive or you can trash it. And we're doing Eli Ross filmography. Okay, so archive meaning I like it and I yeah, won't. like you would you would save it. Oh God, okay, okay. So it's lightning round style. So you have to like immediately pull the trigger when I. Wait, when do I, I tell you? Do I get to like uh, defend it or explain myself? No, save that for online. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> also because we're running long. Yeah, yeah, we are right now. Okay, sorry. Okay, cabin fever. Uh, archive it. Okay, hostel part one. Archive it. I thought you'd say that. Mm-hmm. Hostel part two. Archive it. Yeah. Um. Okay, green inferno. Oh, archive it. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Let's take that one offline. Uh, <laughs> knock, knock. Archive it. Wow. I, I, it's, a, it's a campy, like Keanu Reeves giving his best Nicolas Cage. It's, it's not good, but it's so funny. Yeah, it's it's almost like a like a domestic version of this. It's like, hot girls, come to your yeah. door. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Death Wish. Uh, trash it. And then finally, House with uh, Cock and Its Walls. I have not seen it, but I actually have the Blu-ray, so I, I, I just haven't watched it yet. But I've heard it's decent. I've heard yeah, it's I've decent. heard it's the Goosebumps sequel we all wanted. Which, or the Goosebumps 1. I would argue the Goosebumps 1 is not what I wanted, but that's great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, okay, well, uh, I think, I, don't, I didn't really have any other like like closing thoughts. Oh, good game, by the way. But, um, yeah. I guess I like a lot. I mean, because, like, again, for me to say, like, I want to trash a film and, like, never have it see the face of the earth, like, that, that's, it has to kind of be a really bad film. And I don't even think Death Witch is that bad of a film. It's just really forgettable and not, like, not very Eli Rothy. His his style is not in that movie. No, um, that, that one seemed like, hey, I've got a bathroom that could be remodeled and you're offering me, oh, hey, Death Witch. Uh, yeah, and also Bruce Willis is super boring in that movie. Elizabeth Shue should have been the main character. <laughs> Well, uh, we agree that Elizabeth Shue should just always be the main character. Always, always. I mean, God, she had that piranha, and then like just nothing after that. Oh my God, piranha! Uh, I don't have anything else I want to talk about. I mean, we've hit a bunch of stuff, but I do have one crazy bit of trivia that I think is really cool. So the music, okay. the music in this movie is—I I actually really like it a lot. And uh, the music is done by Nathan Barr. Do you know what he's done music for? Roseanne oh, Barr's Bar Mitzvah. Okay, no, he did. <laughs> All like the score for all seven seasons of True Blood, and oh, wait, wait, okay. wait, here's the good one: all six seasons of The Americans. Oh, right. interesting! What a weird co- career trajectory. I yeah, and he's done more. I just couldn't fit it all on my cheat sheet. But like, he's he's in a lot of TV. But yeah, so when I when the credits rolled for Hostel, I was like, oh, this is like a pretty good score, and it was kind of reminiscent of that Americans theme. Mm, yeah and we both heartily endured the americans oh yeah i love the americans and i love the first like three seasons of true blood so <laughs> i covered all the entire series of true blood back when my blog was still doing tv so Oof. if you ever want to see me just mentally deteriorate in like rapid fire succession just go and track down all of my true blood recaps because they just get like angrier and more frustrated <laughs> with <laughs> each episode <laughs> It's one of the worst final seasons of any television show I've ever seen in my life. Like, they really just shit the bed with that one. Oh, my God. So bad. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, well, this has been your True Blood podcast. (laughs) Don't watch True Blood. Do watch The Americans. And maybe watch Hostel. And definitely watch Hostel Part 2. Cool. Well, this has been our discussion of Hostel. 
Joe? Well, I was going to say, if people like the show, you should rate and review it on whichever podcast place you're getting it from. Oh, yeah. um, I'm sure Bloody Disgusting would love it since they are sponsoring us on this, that they would love to hear that <laughs> now that we've offended <laughs> – how a lot many of di- different people, <laughs> a lot of different groups of people, uh, and then you can also email us at uh, is it horrorqueers at gmail dot com. It is yes, okay, super easy. E- email us at horrorqueers at gmail dot com. You can tweet me at at trace thurman. Yes, and you can tweet at me at b stole my remote. That's the letter b. I guess you're just really used to saying that, but um, okay, I do have multiple podcasts, so yes. Oh yeah, that's true, and. That's it, I guess. <laughs> that is it. Uh, so what are we doing in the next episode? We, oh, my DVD came in today. So, the ne- oh, wait, no, sorry. That's, no. Two, that's two weeks away. <laughs> that's two weeks away. <laughs> I got so excited. I got really excited because the, the DVD cover for what we're doing in two weeks is um really kind of cool. Uh, yeah, it's Thirst Trap the movie. It is. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what, what are we doing next week? What we're doing next week is Karan Kusama's Jennifer's body yes um, which i really like but you have made it clear that you don't but you haven't seen it since you saw it in theaters uh i've seen it once since then and i and i really like it okay or like it we'll go for that for but the first um time. <laughs> yeah i will try really hard to not make that an in defense of podcast episode because i i might fall into that trap so you got to watch me no we don't need to defend it that we talked about this in the first episode that movie got resuscitated this year it did Okay, so yes. So all you horror queers out there, or allies also, uh, see you in a week. Yes, so you are now welcome to get your babashuk on. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) We have to come up with a new phrase. (laughs) 